let's get started here. We're going to begin this morning on a topic of biblical parenting. And one of the reasons I chose this topic is because I think it's one of the most important relationships in the home life. And I, and I think it's, obviously, it's not more important than marriage. I think marriage is primary. Parent-child relationship is, is secondary to that, but very important because it impacts society. It impacts the local church. Doing this well has a tremendous multiplying impact into the future. And that's why I want to spend some time talking about this. In fact, I would say that our relationship with our children best reflects disciple-making that we read about in Matthew 28. Who else do you live with on a day-to-day basis, on a moment-by-moment basis? Who else sees you at your greatest days and on your weakest days? Who else understands how you navigate life? Who else really gets that picture? I mean, we can meet with people during the week. We can disciple people. I can go to Liberia and, 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 and teach a pastor's conference. But there's five people in my life, six, including my wife, that actually know me, that actually see me on a day-to-day basis, who have seen me at my lows, who have seen me at my highs, have seen me how I deal with certain situations, how I deal well with certain situations, how I've dealt poorly with certain situations. They see it all. And so it's so very important when we talk about child raising that if you don't get anything else out of this series, it is this. We want to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the goal of parenting. We want young people to grow up and desire to walk with the Lord, not just go to church. Not just go to church. (laughs) Not not just be a good citizen. That's not what we're after in raising our kids. We want passionate, intimate disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we want. That's what we want. That's the goal. And you know, we want God's best for every child that's in this church and every child that's not in this church that we're related to. That's what we want. God's best. And we're convinced that God's best cannot be had unless they are taught how to walk in fellowship with him. That's what we're after. And so we want to talk a little bit about what the Bible has to say about that, especially God's original design and plan. You know, when you think about parenting, when you think about how do you learn to be a good parent, oftentimes we think, I mean, it's just confusing. (laughs) There's so many voices out there. You know, you, you can go to the Christian bookstore. And I think there are some very good Christian books on this topic, believe, believe it or not. I'm, I usually overstate that to the negative, but I actually think that there are some good books. But you know what else? There's some very bad books out there. There's some very bad books because they emphasize worldly psychology. They, they emphasize worldly thinking. They, they take uh, strategies from the world. They take psychology. They elevate man's viewpoint over God's viewpoint. And so we've got to be careful there because naturally we race off to the Christian bookstore is, is typically what our thinking is. Or maybe we watch television shows. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched Super Nanny. It's kind of entertaining, actually. It's kind of, it always made me feel bad, better because I was like, well, my kids aren't that bad. So, I mean, that's make, make me feel a little bit better. Not that that should be the comparison. But there's a lot of worldly psychology in television shows as well. And you know, they, the, the problem with that is this. It's not that they don't have, it's not that they don't bump into something interesting and helpful once in a while. That's not the point. The point is this, they, they start with the wrong problem. They start with the wrong problem. And as a result, they provide inadequate solutions long-term. That's, that's the problem with all this pop psychology. And that's why it's so important that when we come to this series, that we all are committed to one thing. And that's to say, I want to put myself under the word of God. I want to respond to what God has to say, regardless of what everyone else on earth might say about it. And that's our mindset coming into this series. We've got to take that approach. You know, I'm just reminded of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. We all know verse 16. Because we quote it a lot, right? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. But notice that next word and starting in verse 17. It's the word that. It gives us a purpose. Okay, we just had a bunch of purposes, right? It's profitable for all these things. But notice what else it's useful for. Notice what else it has a purpose for. That the man of God may be complete, 
thoroughly equipped for every good work. Notice it doesn't say most good works. It doesn't say some good works. It doesn't say uh, part, part, part good works. It says every good work. Biblical parenting fits in the category of a good work. And thus the word of God has got a lot to say as it relates to parenting. And and our mindset ought to be, you know what? I want to be equipped by the word of God so that I can fulfill this good work in a way that honors the Lord. Not the way that honors, pleases my church, not the way that pleases my parents, not the way that pleases the culture, but I've got an audience of one as I'm parenting my kids. And you know what? It's not my kids either. I'm not... You know, I, I joke with my kids. I mean, I love my kids, but I tell them all the time, I don't need a best friend. I got plenty of friends. You're not my friend in the sense of that I'm trying to please you or appease you. I'm trying to train you because I love you. That's the thing. And you know what? If we become friends thereafter, great. I, love, I would love that. And, and I love my kids, but my goal is not to make my kids like me, right? That's not the goal of parenting. I've got an audience of one. I'm looking to please him and everything that I do with my parents. So these are just some introductory statements. You know, really good quote by a theologian, not Chris Farley, but an actual theologian um, on this whole topic, I think brings it out really well. No institution on earth is more important than the home because of the impact it has on a society. Modern social and behavioral sciences have claimed such a dominance that even within those churches that claim to hold to the inerrancy of the Bible, we often find sermons, books, and other resources simply mirroring secular psychology, business themes, vocabulary, and strategies rather than accurately communicating the truth of the Bible. This increases the difficulty of the task of child training. It is difficult enough because of the non-Christian influences that affect our children, but many Christian parents are attempting to raise their children without the guidelines of Scripture and have opted for the methods set by human reason or the parameters of a humanistic worldview. One of the great issues, then, is to get parents to listen to the Word and appropriate its truth. In the secular world, truth consists of man's opinions and so-called research. Have you ever noticed that? That's what worldly wisdom. It's, it's man's opinions, and then let me back this up by data research until you find out that someone else did data research that proves. I mean, does anyone still know to this day, are eggs good for you or bad for you? I mean, seriously, is, is coffee good for you or bad for you? Like, seriously, every time I wake up, I'm like, oh, good, I get to eat eggs again. And I'm like, oh, man, I can't eat eggs anymore. I mean, it's, it's just insane. That's worldly wisdom. It's always changing. I love the way he describes this. These opinions consist, however, of a constantly changing parade of thoughts, ideas, and theories that consistently contradict each other, and especially the Bible. Biblical training is not, however, based on the ever-changing cafeteria of man's opinion, but on the eternal truth of a God-breathed book, the Word of God. What if you get through your child training? You've bought into all the human worldly psychology. You bought into the data that, the best data that exists at the time. And then 25 years from now, they say, oops, we were wrong about that. You know, what we're trying to say is there's a book called the Bible that's got unchanging, never changing truth. We want to buy into this. We want to buy into this because we're not going to be saying, oops, 25 years from now. Now, we might say oops about the way we did something, the way we reacted in anger, the way we reacted carnally to our kids. We might say oops about that, but we'll never say oops about anything that we found written in this word. That's what we've got to be convinced of going into it. And if we don't approach our study this way, we're going to be no better off than when we started it. We want to come under the word of God. Lord, speak to me. Lord, teach me. Lord, I'm ready to respond to you. Even if that might be for some of us admitting that the way we've done it, the way we're doing it, the way we've always done it, the way we've always thought about it is wrong. We need to be willing to at least be open to that. That's called humility. And we want to approach the word of God that way. You know, if we were to just summarize God's original design, we can actually put together, I'm a former math teacher, so sorry I went to the equation route. It's two plus two. It's an easy two plus two equation to provide it in summary. First, God's goal is that both parents would be saved. In other words, they would have, they would be in a right standing with God. 
In other words, that they will have trusted in Christ alone for their salvation. They're born again. They have the indwelling Holy Spirit. They have all the resources that anyone ever possesses in Jesus Christ. That is where it needs to start. That's the goal. That's his original design. And then not only that, not just getting saved, but what? Actually walking with the Lord. Actually desiring to be in fellowship with God. Learning what it means to grow spiritually, right? This is the goal. And then those two things, hopefully, through the primary influence of those two things, they should lead to two other things. Here's our our second two. And that is each child would be saved. Each child would hear the gospel. Each child would put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Yeah, you know, I, I, I sit here and, and you'll hear parents say, well, yeah, I believe this, but I don't want to unduly influence my child. I want them to kind of sort it out on their own. Nobody else is going to do that with your child. Everyone else in the world is trying to influence your child. Why don't you at least get your voice in there? That's why they belong to you so that you can influence them. Take advantage of that opportunity. You've got the greatest message in the world. Jesus died for your sins and rose again. You can have eternal life. You can be forgiven of all your sins. That's the greatest message in the world. You want to influence your kids. You want them to believe that message. You want Jesus Christ to be their hero in life. You want them to think that way. It's okay. Influence them. Influence the dog out of them. I mean, just be strategic and influential there. Don't leave that off to somebody else. And so we want them to be saved. We also want them to learn, hopefully from their parents. They'll learn from other people too. But how do you walk in fellowship with the Lord? How do you, how do you walk in intimacy with the Lord? This is really the, the overall summary. And I like what one friend of mine said, a pastor, he says, you want to take their spiritual and biblical cord and you want to plug it into Jesus Christ. I love this. I'm about to buy one of these. That's a surge protector in the shape of a cross. And I, and I love that imagery there because, you know, you think about your kids, you think about, and this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to plug them into Jesus Christ. We've said this before in this church, but let me say it again. Discipleship is about pointing them the way to the way and then get out of the way, right? Point them the way to the way and get out of the way. That's the goal for our kids. Plug them into Jesus Christ. Make yourself a, a spectator, a cheerleader at some point in their life, encouraging them to trust the Lord. That's the goal. And you know, when you think about training children, we're training them in lots of practical ways. And we're going to talk about this, uh, three whole sermons in this series about training. We're going to talk about it because it's very important. You're not just sharing a Bible verse. That is true. We're going to share Bible verses. You're not just taking them to Bible study. You're not just dropping them off at Awana. You're not just dropping them off in Sunday school. That's not what we're talking about. That can be a component of training, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about simply this. How do they see you handle life's trials? How do you handle life's trials with a attentive audience? How do you train them? Are they going to be able to train their own children because they've seen you train them and they just think? You know what I love is when kids grow up in a Christian home and they eventually realize like out there's like this big dark world out there and not everybody's as great as their parents. They, they thought they had it so bad and then they get out in the big dark world, they start talking to friends. They're like, oh man, my parents were saints. <laughs> they were awesome. You know, and I can say this about my parents and, and my mom's here today. They, they would admit lots of mistakes in parenting, but you know one mistake they never made? They always loved us and they always supported us and they always believed in us. And they, and they always did whatever they could in their power to support us. You know what? And I take that to the bank because now I've got friends. I'm out in the real world. I hear what other people's parents did. I know people whose, whose dad and mom never came to their baseball games, never came to their practices. My dad would take off work early just to come to my practice. I mean, it's like, that, I thought that was normal. It was abnormal in a good way, in a very supportive way. And so we want to train our children. How do you recover from personal sin? Do you even talk about that with your kids? When you make mistakes, when you sin, how do you restore fellowship with the Lord? Are we training our kids to think this way? How do you deal with difficult people? How do you communicate with people? We, Carrie and I were just talking this week about just even in, even in our marriage, how we want to communicate 
better. And, and I feel like we communicate pretty well, but there's just, there's always levels. And those are the things we want to bring our children into. And you know what? The good news is every Christian parent is designed for this. And every Christian parent possesses all the tools and resources needed to do it. That's what you've got to be encouraged this morning. If you're a parent, I, I know you're not perfect. I know you've made mistakes. I know there's things that you regret. I know there's things you'd rather do over. Here's the good news. You possess everything you need in Jesus Christ and the word of God to accomplish what we're talking about. That's God's original design and purpose. But as we like to say in the astronaut community, Houston, we have a problem, right? There's, a, there's an issue here. It doesn't, you know, what, what kind of, it doesn't transfer from uh, the lab to the street oftentimes. We, we believe it in the lab. And we get to the street, we're like, wait, wait a minute here, something's going on. And to make you feel better or worse, I don't know what this will do, but not even the first parents in the history of the world were successful. You think about that, Adam and Eve? I mean, one of their kids killed one of their other kids. I, I wouldn't consider that success. I wouldn't consider that a successful thing. And you know what? They didn't have other people's kids to blame. To blame. You know, like I always blame the deacons, deacons kids here. You know, I mean, that's, that's the joke, right? It's like, you know, the pastor kids, they're terrible. Well, the reason they're so terrible is because they hang out with the deacons kids. You know, that's the, that's the joke. No, seriously. They didn't have other kids to blame. They didn't have the school system to blame. They didn't have the internet to blame. They didn't have social media to blame. They didn't have their own parents' failures to blame, right? It always comes into parenting. They didn't have any of that to blame, and yet there was still a failure in biblical parenting at that point. And so when we talk about parenting, it, it, it is designed to look like this. God has set forth a track. We are designed to put our train on that track and then just roll. <laughs> That's the deal. The problem is, the reality of it is, just like real tr- railroad trains, there are what they call thermal expansions, right? There's, there's some bumps that have occurred along the way that are fighting against just a normal train ride. And so before we get into God's original design, we've got to set the stage because if we don't realize what the problem is, if we don't realize and understand the colossal nature of the problem, then we will be convinced by all sorts of inadequate solutions because we don't fully understand what we're up against. And so I want to take a a step back here and look at these colossal problems And one of the key things that I think we need to understand is a key event that was recorded for us in Genesis chapter 3. If you've been in church before, you know this passage, but let's go there and let's read it um, because it is going to set the stage really for everything that follows as it relates to biblical parenting. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And so what we see in this passage is recorded the fall. Okay, we refer to it as the fall, one of the key events in human history because a lot of things changed that day. Too many to go into. I mean, that's a sermon series in and of itself. But there are some things, some key areas that were impacted as it relates to the parent-child relationship. And this is the one, the thing that we want to bring out. First, the child now has a root problem. This is, this is one of those like Captain Obvious statements. I mean, what, I think we understand this, but I want to develop this out a little bit so that we have a perspective on this. Every child is now born with an indwelling sin nature. This is why David says in Psalm 51.5 that he was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, what we have to understand more than anything is this is an absolute game changer when it comes to raising 
our kids. And it's a game changer because there is something within them by nature that wants to buck authority. There's something in them by nature that wants to rebel against God's original design for them. There's something in, by nature in them that wants to fight against any kind of training that you want to provide. And we need to know this going in. It's, it's like if, you, if any of you that public speak, if you know that you're going into a, a friendly audience, you're a little bit more relaxed. You know, maybe you can you know, tell a joke here and there. But if you know you're going into a hostile audience, don't you prepare differently? Don't you make sure your facts are, are down? Aren't you, don't you study in, the, in a sense your audience? We need to know our audience. We need to know what's going on internally with the, child, the very children that we're tasked to train. And the scriptures have got a lot to say about it. In fact, one of the passages uh, tells us in Proverbs that because of indwelling sin, each child has foolishness bound up in their heart. Not they're foolish once in a while. It means it's tied up. It's, it's all entangled up in there. And so that's what Proverbs twenty two fifteen. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. And so when you ask your child, why did you do that? And they say, I don't know. They could be telling you the truth. <laughs> they, don't, they don't know why they did it. They're, they've got foolishness bound up in their hearts. You know, they say a picture says a thousand words. This is why little boys do things like this. This is why little boys invent games. Let me throw a brick at your head as hard as I can and you try to duck. Let me hold my breath as long as I can. I'll hold it as long as I can. You know, my brother and I, you know, anyways, growing up with a brother, let's just say we've been to the emergency room a few times with stitches, okay? One time, don't ask me why, again, foolishness bound up in the heart, right? We thought it would be a good idea to take old license plates in, our, in the basement of our home and throw it at one another. Not knowing that license plates are kind of sharp. I mean, I guess we, I don't know if we know you even thought about that. Anyways, we're throwing license plates back and forth and it went like this for a little bit. I threw it and when he saw me through it, he ducked. He threw it, I saw him throw it, I ducked. Well, then I got smart. That happened a couple of times. I'm like, I'm never gonna hit him unless I fake him out. So I pump faked. He ducked, I counted to two, then I threw it. He came up right at the right time, boom, right here, sliced the top of his eye open, right? Why did I do that? I have no clue. I have no clue. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. You know, the other thing that because of indwelling sin, each child's heart is naturally deceitful above all things and beyond cure. That's what Jeremiah 17, 9 says. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That means not only do they deceive others, but who else do they deceive? Themselves. They're, they're so self-deceived because it's bound up in their heart. Because of indwelling sin, each child can be and is by nature rebellious against any kind of authority in their lives, including God and their parents. Isaiah 1-2, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Because of indwelling sin, each child can be and is by nature self-centered, self-occupied, and thus, in this way, they are idolaters because they worship themselves. Let's just call it what it is. Because of sin, people worship themselves. They want what's best for them. They want what they want when they want it. This is, this is why you don't have to go back to the nursery and the church. We do not have a class teaching your children to take someone else's toy or to hit somebody when they take their toy. They got that all figured out themselves. They, they've got it figured out because they worship themselves and what they want, they get. They're going to go after it. This is what we've got to understand. This is by nature coming at us, James 3, 14 through 16. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly. And there's that component we're talking about, this indwelling sin. It's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. 
You know what else? Because of indwelling sin, you as a parent need to know that your child is going to be anti-God's program for training and discipline. They're going to be anti-that. That they're, they're, they're just by nature rebels. And, and here's why I'm going through this. Again, it's not, this is Captain Obvious, right? Kind of level stuff. We know this. We've seen this. We, we believe what the Word of God says. We, we've seen this borne out in children. But the point of it is this for us. This needs to form a, a necessary base or, or guideline for us as to what we expect from our children. See, because if we understand the battle that's raging within, we can be more patient with them. We can be a little bit more objective in what's going on because we have been let in behind the scenes via the word of God to understand what's actually motoring in their heads, what's motoring in their heart. And instead of viewing them as somebody that is rebelling and being your enemy, you view them as somebody you need to come alongside of and train. So it gives you a whole different perspective. We know that the little guy or the little girl, they may look like an angel, but they have really misbehaved. And instead of taking it out on them personally, we are coming alongside of them, aiding them in their their own walks with the Lord. That's the ultimate goal. And by the way, when we realize this, when we realize the depth of the depravity that it, it resides in our children, we are driven to a divine solution. We have to be. This is when we give up on all this worldly garbage and human reliance strategies. We just say, that is for the birds. I don't want any of that because none of that stuff works. And although we've got a problem with our kids, you know, you got us another problem. And we're going to get a little bit more personal here. You got a root problem too, as a parent. You got the same sin nature and indwelling sin that your children do. That means that you as a parent can cause as much destruction and damage to that relationship that anybody else on earth. Those of you that had good parents, this is going to be hard for you to believe, but there are bad parents out there. Some by intentionality and some by accident who have done some very harmful and damaging things to their kids. And it's as a result of this. They too have a sin nature. They too uh, can be driven and controlled by sin. In fact, because of their sin nature, guess what? Their heart's also deceitful above all things and beyond cure. If left to their own devices, they are deceiver by nature. Parents are. And this is dangerous because in the area of child training, when somebody brings to a parent's attention, hey, you probably shouldn't have done that. Hey, you were probably too aggressive with that child. Hey, you were probably too mean with your words. You probably shouldn't say that they're going to be so self-deceived that they're going to be like, no, no, I'm the parent, they're the child, that's it. And they will not even listen to correction because they think they're doing it right because they're the parent, they're bigger, they can scream louder, they can, you know, they're more physical, they can pick up and they just think they're automatically right and they're so self-deceived. And parents, you need to realize that about yourself. Let's, let's not pretend that if you grew up in a Christian church, and that you're naturally patient with everybody else, there is something about two relationships in the home that bring out the worst in us. I don't know what it is. It exposes us. Marriage will expose you. It will, it will expose you and let you realize you are not quite the person you thought you were. And you know what? That's a good thing. <laughs> don't fight that. That's good. God wants to expose you because the more you're exposed, the more you have to reach out for divine resources. The second relationship in your home that will expose the ever-living daylights out of you is your children. They will, that relationship will expose where you're at with the Lord. And it's a good thing. We don't want to move away from that. And so understand this, that when you know this about yourself, you too are driven for divine solutions in your own life. Because of indwelling sin, each parent can be and is by nature rebellious against any kind of authority in their lives. And oh, by the way, you're setting a terrible example for your own kids as it relates to authority in their life. You don't believe me? Do you complain about your boss at home to your kids? Do you complain about, uh, do you complain about the church, you know, church leadership in a, in a church that you attended? Do you, do you complain about the government? Do you complain about all sorts of authority type figures? How do you handle your relationship to authority, you, whatever you, how you handle it, you're modeling that to your children, just so you know. And guess what? You're an authority figure in their life. So at some point, guess what they're going to figure out? 
they can treat you the same way. And that is not how you want to train them because that's not good for them. And we're going to see that as we go through the study. Because of indwelling sin, every parent can be and is by nature self-centered and self-occupied as well. And what a battle that sets up, right? Two people, two entities wanting only what they want for themselves, clashing in the same time and space continuum, not a good thing. (laughs) That does not work out very well when you got two selfish people in the room at the same time. That does not go very well. Also, because of indwelling sin, each parent can be and is by nature anti-God, anti-God's program. And you know, one of the things that make parents anti-God and anti-God's program is inconsistency and apathy toward raising their kids. You know, probably one of the worst things that we can do as parents is nothing. Just, and some parents actually believe that's the way to raise their kids. I'm just going to let it go. It'll all pan out in the end. It'll all work out in the end, you know. And usually the justification is like, well, my dad never had anything to do with me and I turned out okay. Or my parents, they were so busy with work and I turned out okay. Let's not use that as our standard. Again, that, that is worldly wisdom. That is not divine wisdom. We want to be better for our kids. We want to do more and be more intentional with our kids. And one of the things that we've got to realize is the opposite mindset should be true. We ought to be thinking more intentional with our children than our parents ever did with us. We can take a step in that direction. Now, there's another area we've covered too. I want to cover the outside area. And we've got to understand that there is a satanic infiltration and influence in the world. We know from 1 John 5, 19, that the world is under the sway of the wicked one. So we got a lot working against us. We got your child's internal enemy. We've got your internal enemy. And then we've got these external enemies, the world system and Satan, all working to destroy parent-child relationships. In fact, did you know, and I'm Trust me, this is a whole nother message. I'm not even want to get off onto this. But let me just tell you, in terms of the influence that's invading children's lives from the world system, do you know that the average child watches 21 hours per week of television or YouTube videos or some kind of video? Uh, Do you know that they average about 15 hours per week in video games? And do you know that when you take all forms of communication, social media, videos, TV, video games, all these kind of things, you put it all together, do you know that the average child in America today as it basically watches or engages in seven hours and 22 minutes per day of communication, media? By the way, what's eight times five? 40. That's a 40-hour work week. (laughs) They're literally, our kids are literally devoting a 40-hour work week to media, every kind of worldly influence that could come through those media channels. And I say that not to say, oh gosh, get rid of the phones, get rid of the TVs, get rid of the video games, don't, don't let them do anything. All I'm saying is be aware. Don't, don't put your head in the sand. If that's how much influence they're facing, how much influence and intentionality do you think we need to bring to the table to offset that? Just a thought. I mean, sure, you can control everything they do from the time they're zero to 18. And then guess what happens on, on age 18? They step outside the door. They're going to see it all anyways. So you might as well disciple them along the way and work with them along the way. It's just to point out that these things are coming after us from the inside and the outside. And we're all targeted in that sense for destruction. And so just like any human relationship we have, the sin nature and these external enemies are trying to destroy them. So that's the same. The same is true in your parent-child relationship. And you know what? If we go through the Bible, we see that history repeats itself. In fact, immediately following the fall, our enemy's first victory, Cain and Abel, we mentioned that. You go down about, uh, I think, five generations from Cain, you've got Lamech. He takes a couple wives. The, The text tells us that he's more proud and arrogant than Cain. You go another four generations from there, and it says about all the inhabitants of the earth that their, the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. This is a failure in, in child training. This is a, a failure in raising kids. And unfortunately, it doesn't get better because the 
fast forward prediction for the end days found in 2 Timothy 3.2, parental failure will be widespread because this is what we see. Know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. And there you go, disobedient to parents. So what's the solution? You know, that's, that's the million dollar question, right? What is the solution? Now that we've hopefully given this colossal problem, we all feel overwhelmed a little bit. That's good. If you're feeling that way, that's, that's good. There is a solution. And most people would simply say, well, good parenting is the solution, right? It, you know, if we can just get our parenting in order, then that's going to guarantee godly kids. And I hate to break it to you. Good parenting does not guarantee godly kids. That's, that's a shock, right? I mean, when you, when you think about that, because you think, well, oh my gosh, now I'm feeling very hopeless. That's good. That's good. Because conceptually, you could do everything right, and you still have an individual entity known as a child who makes individual decisions, who makes individual choices that you have no control over. And you know what? That ought to really make us feel hopeless and helpless. Because guess what? We are hopeless and helpless. But the good news is there is hope. <laughs> I, I lied there. We're not hopeless. We are helpless. But there is hope. Because God wants to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Even in the area of child training. And you know, one of the problems with quote unquote good parenting, and I want to be careful as we go through the series because we're going to look at biblical principles for good parenting. Here's what I want to encourage you not to do. Don't turn it into a formula. Don't turn it into a method. Don't turn it into a list. Don't turn it into a mechanism that, that you are going to engage in to guarantee godly children. We've all had that conversation. I've been to, to parents who, whose kids are still walking with the Lord when they're older, and I'm like, you know, pen and notebook, man, I'm sitting down. What'd you do? Tell me what you did. Tell me about your family devotions. Tell me about this. Tell me about this, right? Because I wanted to do everything that they did because what? I wanted my kids to look just like their kids. And what I realized is there's not a formula. There are principles that we want to be wisely astute of. There's not a, it's not formulaic. It's not do this, punch it in your calculator and out spits out great kids. That's not how it works. And so one of the things that we have got to see is that colossal problems that we've just looked at are not solved by man's solutions. Got to be convinced of that. And then finally, we've got to be convinced that colossal problems can only be solved by divine solutions. Again, are there principles? Yes. Here's what it's going to boil down to is this, and we, we say this a lot at this church. Why do you do, let me go back, why do you do what you do? Why do you want to raise your kids in a biblical way? Is it so that they get a good job one day? Is it so that they get married and have grand? I mean, we all want them to get married and have grandbabies, don't we? I mean, we all, I get it. I get that. Is that the ultimate goal, though? Good citizens, nice people, moral people, vote Republican, vote Democrat, whatever, right? Whatever is important to you. Is that, is that what we want? Is that why we do what we do? I'm going to say, I want to challenge our thinking. How about we do what we do because God has a desire for your kids and we are doing it as unto him. That's why we do what we do in parenting. That's why we make the choices we make. That's why we invest the time that we do because God has a design for it and we want to line up with God's design. Again, audience of one, audience of one. We just take that mindset into parenting. This is what we're all about. This is why we do what we do. I'm not doing it so that the people at church think that I've got my kids under control. I don't care if they think I have my kids under control. I care what he thinks. I care what he sees. It, it, people can look at my kids and say, that's the other thing. You know, my kids shouldn't be in any more of a fishbowl than anybody else's kids. Do my kids do things wrong? Yes. Do they do things wrong in public sometimes? Yes. Do they do things sometimes in public that embarrass me? Yes. But you know what? Do I do things wrong? In the amen chorus over here, my kids, yes. Do I ever do things in public that embarrass them? Yes, right? They're being quiet. They don't want to get in trouble. But yeah, we do too. 
That's not the point. That's not my goal in raising them. I'm not trying to impress anybody else with my children. And you know, for many of us in parenting, that's exactly why we parent the way we do. We're trying to impress other people with our children. They're not trophies. They're real life human beings that God's got a purpose for. And, and man, just let me get out of the way of God's purpose for my kids. And let me just be one who encourages and, and encourages them to flourish in what God's got designed for them. Again, why do we do what we do? That's a question. Now, turn with me to Psalm 127. Let's get into the text this morning. Appreciate Robert reading that earlier. Who is building your home? Verse one, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. I'm gonna go ahead and read verses two and three as well. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. I want you to notice a couple of things about these first couple of verses, and that is the, the word unless is used two times. We're gonna see that as we go through the text. And what it means is by no means. There, in other words, there's no other means that, that can do what this verse says God alone can do. And then we're gonna see the word vain used three times, right? Vain, worthless, useless, ineffective, right? That's, we're gonna see that. And then I want you to see who the actor is in the verses. See who the one is active. God is the one who's active. He's the one who builds. He's the one who guards. He's the one who gives sleep. He's the one who gives children as an inheritance. We want to see that coming out. And you know, this is one of the main problems in our homes. It's one of the main problems in our biblical parenting is we put all the pressure on ourselves to do this formulaic, mechanistic things right. And we simply put our trust in formulas and we do not put our trust in the Lord. See, it always comes back. The Christian life always comes back to a who, not a what. And see, legalism, lipstick on a pig, is always going to drive you to what? Do these things. Do, 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 do. Do all these things. That's lipstick on a pig. That is a what. And you know what? Many of us grew up in a Christianity that was a what. Do this, do this, don't do this, do this. I'm here to tell you, we don't bring a what. We bring a who. We bring a person. And you know what? That person is capable of doing things that your what's could never even remotely come close to doing. And praise God. How many parents are here this morning that have grown children who are walking with the Lord and, and, and you're not necessarily proud of your parent. You're just like, how in the world did that happen? With the amount of mistakes that my spouse and I made, that was the grace of God that they even turned out normal, Right? I mean, seriously, this is what is so amazing about the Lord. So let's look at five principles. We'll move through these quickly. Principle number one found in verse one, the Lord must build your house. Again, that word unless translates by no means. In other words, simply this, it's not that the Lord should build your house. He should. It's not that the Lord builds houses better. He does. What this is saying is more than that. He's the only one who can. You see, it's exclusivity. It's He's negating all other methods. And that's something that we need to be convinced of. The word build means that he's setting up something. He's constructing something. And, and the tense or the aspect used in the Hebrew has this idea that it's a process, that he's, he's building as a process. And isn't that child ra- tra- training? Is it day by day, moment by moment process? That's exactly where the Lord wants to be with you in it is day by day, one moment at a time, one step at a time. And this is why child training, there's, it's not prefabbed. It's not, it, it's not the same formula. It's not a cookie cutter type situation. It is a day-to-day, moment-by-moment grace operation from start to finish. And we are depending upon the Lord himself. And the question is, will we trust? Do we believe that he can do only what he can do? And are we willing to allow him to do it? Are we going to be intentionally relying upon him? The second 
principle kind of goes with the first is any other method of building one's, one's house is done in vain, futile, worthless, ineffective, no result. And you know what that means? It means the house cannot be built by your own parents, your well-meaning friends, any type of secular parenting books, or just biblical principles in and of themselves. Let me say that clearly because otherwise we get formulaic. We're giving biblical principles this morning, but we're not saying just rely on the biblical principles themselves. We're relying upon the Lord. You see, it's a person. It's personal. It's intimate. And your children need to see you walking in personal fellowship with the Lord, not just committed to a set of truths, not just committed to a set of verses. That's great. Bring that in. They need to see your connection to a person whose name is Jesus Christ. That's what they need to see is this intimacy. This means that cleverness, ingenuity, doing what your parents did, that's what gets us in a lot of trouble. Well, my parents all did that. I turned out okay. Don't you want more for your children than the way you turned out? I mean, seriously? I mean, you may be happy with how you turned out. That's fine. I'm not saying you shouldn't be. I'm just saying it doesn't, doesn't matter. Don't you want more? Why wouldn't you want more for them? Than you had for yourself, right? And this is what we're talking about. So we're not doing it because our parents did it that way. Again, who's our audience? Is it grandma and grandpa? Or is it the Lord Jesus Christ? Who's our audience? Who are we looking to as we're making parenting decisions? So again, just like everything in the Christian life, effective biblical parenting is tied to personal fellowship with a person. Third principle, the Lord must protect you. You know, the word unless, again, it's the same word. There's no other means effective to protect your home. That's tough for guys, right? We want to protect our home. And we want to protect our wives. We want to protect our kids. I mean, that's, there's just something in, innate in us that we just, we want to protect them. But you know, the truth of the matter is, is you can provide the best protection in the world that you know is humanly possible, and you're still going to have holes in your armor. It's not just saying the Lord should protect you. The Lord provides the best protection. It's literally saying he's the only one that can do it. He's the only one that can sure up your armor of protection. In fact, the word guards means to watch, to limit access, and it implies protection. And and again, this is also a process. This is something he wants to do moment by moment in our lives and in our training of our kids. And again, he wants to protect you. He's the only one who can. Are you convinced of that this morning? Sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as parents, and we want to be intentional. We want to take responsibility. But you know, ultimately, we are relying upon somebody that's got longer arms than we do, somebody that's got bigger hands than we do, someone that's got broader shoulders than we do. That's who we're relying upon. We're not relying upon just these abstract, formulaic methods. We're relying upon the biggest, strongest hero in the universe to do what only he can do. And that's exactly how he wants it from each one of us. And this actually brings up and reinforces why principle four is so true. You cannot protect yourself. The implication is no matter how hard you try, look at verse one, the watchman stays awake in vain, right? He's trying to protect the city but he doesn't catch everything. Even if he's awake, he doesn't catch everything. Watchmen fail. You as a Christian parent will fail. You won't see everything coming. You won't be on top of everything the way you should. God is able to protect you if you're resting and relying upon him. Again, the use of vain indicates that all protection, again, independent of the Lord is useless. It's not effective. It won't produce the desired results. Thus, when it comes to your kid, you can try to control them. You can try to protect them. You can try to insulate them from all things. And, and none of those things at certain stages are wrong. You should, right? This is part of training and parenting. But the point is this, ultimately your defense has holes in it. You need to be convinced of that because if you're convinced of that, you're gonna rely upon the Lord more consistently to protect your kids And let me just put this as some very practical stuff. You know, parents put pornography blocks on computers. Great, do it. We're not against that, right? They limit makeup on girls. Great, do it. Limit the makeup on the girls. That's totally fine. That's between you and the Lord, those decisions you make. Maybe you regulate clothing. 
Good, you should. Because there's foolishness bound up in the heart of a child. And they'll wear some pretty dumb things out, outdoors, right? Regulate the clothing. Keep the dating age older, right? I'm an I'm a amen. Three daughters? I'm like, yeah, dating age as high as I can get it, right? No, but, but seriously, none of these things are in and of themselves wrong. The point is this. Don't trust in these things. You see the difference? That's the difference. People trust in these things. They trust in the formulaic methods of parenting instead of trusting in the person who is behind the word. That's what we're talking about here. Trust in the Lord alone and rely upon your God, Isaiah 50, 50 through 11 says. One final principle found in verse two, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows for so he gives his beloved sleep. And so that principle is the Lord must provide for you. Notice, again, how many things are mentioned here that are in vain. To rise up early. In other words, no matter how early you want to rise to kind of get a beat on the day and, and on this biblical parenting thing and this home thing, you, you won't make a dent in building your house or protecting your house. No matter how late you stay up, you won't make a dent in either building your house or protecting your house. It doesn't matter. In other words, it doesn't matter what end of the candle you're going to burn. You're, you're not going to make a dent in these areas. And then to eat the bread of sorrows, even if you labor to the point of exhaustion and provide everything that your family needs physically, you won't make a dent in building or protecting your house. That should feel very overwhelming. So what is, why is this the case? Because God wants to provide for you even when you're asleep. Because guess what? When I'm asleep and things turn out okay, guess who gets the credit for it? God does. I don't get the credit for it because I was asleep. I love, I love that image too because he deserves the credit. He deserves the credit in all these areas in our life. And you know, the implication is that hard work by itself is futile. It's not that we shouldn't work hard. It's not that we shouldn't be responsible. We're not trusting in those things though. It's part of the process, but we're trusting in the Lord. And you know, probably the biggest thing we need to understand for you parents is there's some responsibility, but the pressure's off. You know, take your helicopter hats off. You don't have to be a helicopter parent. God wants to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Again, there's a, there's a balance of our responsibility, but ultimately we're not trusting in the way that we do things. We're trusting in the one who can only do what he can do. And so next week and the weeks following, we'll look more and more detail about this, this whole training concept for parenting. We'll start there next week. Let me close there with a word of prayer. Lord, thanks for this time this morning. We pray for every parent in this room, even parents of grown children. Will you give us the wisdom, Lord, needed in all the areas that we stand in need of in our specific scenarios this week? Would you just give us that wisdom, Lord, to take uh, even these truths of what does it mean to depend on you? What does it mean to rely on, on you? What does it mean to, to allow you to show up and show out in our lives with our kids? Would you show us what that looks like and give us wisdom in all of these areas, Lord? We just want to be convinced in the way that you want us convinced that you alone are the one can do things that we cannot do. And may we be convinced of that truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.